ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. Hey! Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by the number one producer in late night. It's Dave Wolomowski. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, nothing, nothing really new. I've been, I've been cruising around on Twitter a lot more, and you yeah. can tell that things are changing over there. We got at least, I think, like three new followers, so that's mm -hmm. pretty big. Things are going pretty good. See, it's. I don't know how to feel about it because on the one hand, you see things are changing over there. On the other yeah. hand, what did you and I just discuss literally 15 seconds before the show started? Hmm. We don't like change. Oh, we fear change. Yes. 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 Change makes us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've told Anakate this. If you change at all. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the person I, I, I agreed to go out with. Yeah. That, yeah. It's, nope. This is contractual, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's in the vowels, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay I was just, I was just make sure. Um, did you hear of the news <laughs> that Vice President Kamala Harris got the Rona despite all the masks and all the jabs? She picked wow. up COVID nineteen. Do we have a picture of Vice President with COVID nineteen? <laughs> Dave, <sighs> no, no, Dave. I think you might have done a racism. No. <laughs> this is such a beautiful, like, thing we have here where I write the jokes, but then I, but if one doesn't land, it's Dave. How could you? <laughs> no, seriously, come on. Do we have a real picture of Kamala Harris? Yeah. There she is right there. Um, thoughts and prayers. I really don't have anything else. It was just to get you to do that picture. Yeah. Speaking of not great. having anything else, there was an image going around on the internet lately, and it actually came from our state newspaper. The Nashville Tennessean is the newspaper this originated from. Uh, just in a bid to become even more irrelevant than they already are, the Nashville Tennessean is running a new segment to showcase diversity within the series. Oh, uh, with, excuse me, within the city. The most recent subject was right here. Check it out. Meet Nashville's transqueer Latinx neurodivergent public theologian. Hmm. Did you get all that, that? That's that's a lot of words. Yeah. Boy, uh talk about needing to stay away from trans fats, am I right? Oh. <laughs> I'm too late. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll wait. Take no go ahead. I'll I'll wait. Uh, Thank you. Um, there was another thing that I, I wanted to kind of rant about this evening before we move on, and that is prices for everything are going up. You know, like inflation is terrible. It's like running over 10%. Prices are going up. Yeah. And while while we hate that prices are going up, we also can understand that if if, say, for instance, you have a favorite local eatery in your town, like your go-to place that maybe you and Mary always go to when you're when you're out on the town. That's like it's 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 just for your area. It's like a mom and pop, and you know that their costs are going up too. Yep. Like their suppliers are raising prices, and there's nothing that, like it's not their fault. Like they're not a greedy corporation trying to get another <laughs> buck off of you. They have to raise their prices, otherwise they won't make it. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to. I happened to be browsing some reviews recently, and I saw this review for this local pizza place that we have. And this is what the that was, there was two different reviews: one for a pizza place and one for my beloved Ponchos. The pizza place had a review, and it got a one star. Now this place has far and away better pizza than like Domino's and Papa John's and Pizza Hut. It got a one star review, and so I was like, okay, I'll bite. What's the review? And they said, I ordered pizza from this place from DoorDash, and DoorDash didn't deliver my order. I'll never eat here again. So me, an intellectual, I replied, well, did you, did you call DoorDash? Did you call the people delivering the food? 
one star. <laughs> so, I may have called him a stupid bitch. Yeah. Got a cyber bully every once in a while. Yeah. But the, but the one for ponchos was even worse. Oh, My no. beloved ponchos, which is an authentic Mexican restaurant, by the way. By, run by true Mexicans. They went probably a year and a half since, we'll say, April 2020 without raising their prices a cent. Wow. Yes, because they didn't want to. And finally, they held out as long as they could. And something like 18, 20 months later, they actually raised their prices by one quarter. Like, not, not 25%, by one quarter. Yeah. And they actually printed a sign that they put up in the front of their restaurant that said that they were going to raise their prices by a quarter, that their suppliers had raised their prices every month since April of last year, and they held out as long as they could, and they were sorry. And I thought, wow, they shouldn't, they shouldn't need to feel that way because it's not their fault. Guess what I found in the Google reviews? A cavalcade of fucking rednecks giving one and two star reviews to ponchos because they raised their prices. At a quarter. Yeah. This is why we can't have nice things. You know that, right? This is why democracy doesn't work. Yeah, Yeah, this is exactly (laughs) why democracy doesn't work. Well, we went a good seven minutes. I feel like I have to say something. Uh-oh. There was there was something that came up in the news the other day. Mm. And that was a supposed leak from the Supreme Court. Oh yeah. That there's this particular very landmark case that looks it appears to about to be overturned. Roe v. Wade. Now, we're not actually going to discuss that at all tonight. We have a nope. fantastic guest, we have totally different subject matter to discuss. I'm not going to sit here and get into uh, the legal ins and outs of Roe v. Wade about why it was uh, a garbage decision to begin with, how the legal framework was ridiculous. Um, I'm not going to get into the tenfold hattery of the leak and when and why that was, uh, yada, yada, yada. But I will say this. People should be happy. This is a good thing. And I'll tell you why it's a good thing. You might recall that our guest just a week ago, Tom Woods, was on the show. And I asked Tom, in relation to all the COVID stuff that's gone on the last couple of years and the differences between uh, certain states and uh, now granted there was some red states that were bad, but in general blue slash lockdown states versus red slash non-mandate states. And you see the population shifts. You see the people fleeing the lockdown areas to more free states. And the fact that that's even possible, the fact that you could go from one state to another that has different policies that meet your preferences, that's federalism. That's the way the system was designed to work. And even though in our black cynical hearts, we don't maybe not believe too much in the system, at least a tiny little bit, as Tom put it, the system proved that it could still work if it were applied the right way. Mm-hmm. With this decision, we're about to find out if there's going to be more proof for the former or the latter. Will the system work or not work? Because if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that neither makes abortion more or less legal than it was the day before. What it means is that the decision will go back to the states. Will there be states that will outright ban abortion the next day? Of course. Will there be states somewhere in the middle? Yes. Will there be states that are going to, you know, keep the fantaside going strong? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Creating an environment where 15 or 20 blue states can, can... can't go on living knowing that babies in Alabama aren't being mashed down into stem cell paste. But vice versa, 15 to 20 red states Mm -hmm. deciding they can't go on living knowing that some 23-year-old black kid is smoking a joint and not being hanged. That's not an unhealthy divided nation. That's a healthy nation under federalism. 
So if nothing else at all, we'll find out if there's any hope for the system still to work in this country in the next 6, 12, 18 months or more. It'd be interesting. Will it, though? I don't know. Probably good means. Anyway, that's really all <laughs> I have to say about the decision, about abortion, about everything. So there you go. Yeah. That is the objectively correct take. <laughs> the libertarian stance. Yeah. No, no, no. They're all <laughs> retarded. You know, I'm sorry. We're not. No, you're Dave. You're not going to gaslight me. <laughs> into to doing things we shouldn't do guys we're going to be back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break don't go away So anyway, here's the thing about abortion. If if they would just let you sell your unwanted children, then yeah. a living child being exchanged to another family for goods and services would be preferable to a dead child. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, don't you? I guess me. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's show is being sponsored by Pat Crest Botanicals, which you can find at patcrestbotanicals.com. With promo code It's Too Late, you get 30% off. They have awesome 30. CBD Delta. 30% off! Can you believe that? That's insane. It's kinda, yeah, it's stupid. They're going to go out of business. There's no yeah. way. You can't, yeah. Can't do that. That's not a... uh, CBD, Delta 8, gummies, ointments, teas, herbals. I mean, it's it's. I actually have the Ascend 3000 right here on my desk. It gets your day going on the right foot. Can, can we get a picture of that? Three thousand. Mm. You need some more. Yeah, right. I should just drink it. That's <laughs> that's kind of a thing on this show. Anyway, I I, I don't want to drink the oil though. It's kind of, you know. Would that would that like help your arteries or would that be bad? I don't know. You know what? That's a good question for Pickens when he comes back on the show. Anyway, yeah. that's patcrestbotanicals.com, Promo code. It's too late. Um. Hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. What time is it? It's time for Meme of the Week. You just spent the last two years fighting against the concept of body autonomy. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Why is he... I always forget which one. Is, is he Tom? Yeah. Or is he, okay. Tom Tom's the cat. Yeah. Okay. Cat. Yeah. yeah. I always felt bad for Tom. Yeah, I mean, he's just trying to do his job. Jerry's a rodent. He right. doesn't belong. Mm -mm. Like just some people. Pooping and peeing all over the place. Yeah. Screwing around, getting into food. Mm hmm. Dirty, dirty creatures. Are we talking about mice or okay? Uh, but yeah, we do yeah. have a bonus meme. Check out the bonus meme. Until I'm out of ammo or out of blood, I will fight for gay pride and give. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Anyway, very, yeah, I know, right? Um, progressive. We're doing pretty good on, on time. We should be proud of ourselves. We've well, been doing good on time for several weeks now, I think. Yeah, that's all gone now. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, you know, cool. come to mention it, I forgot how long the interview goes. Yeah, I, I forgot to ask. So, I don't so we might that. actually not be doing good on time because I don't even know. Uh, I lied to you just now. <laughs> You're just missing misinformation. Yeah, misinformation. Somebody, yeah. 
did you know our last week's episode got tagged on YouTube with all the COVID warnings and stuff? Oh, nice. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, it came up in the interview. Uh, yeah, we said the word. We didn't. We weren't disputing <laughs> the. We weren't like there was no narrative to dispute. We were just, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> let's answer some viewer mail. All right. This has like a a '90s soft rock vibe. Yeah. You know. It's like right. a training video. Yeah. For some reason, it makes me think of Bare Naked Ladies. You know that song, If I Had a Million Dollars by Bare Naked yeah. Ladies? Yeah. That's a feel-good song. Yep. That's the song we'll play. That's the song <gasps> we'll play. Okay, all okay. right. Uh, Thomas Lightheart writes, Dear Alan and Dave, how many people are coming to your celebration next month? <laughs> oh, what oh. did we forget to do? Ladies and gentlemen, June 4th which is right around the corner, is the fourth annual It's Too Late live show hosted by yours truly well and Dave and Mary living in Labeland at the Private Bon Aqua Computer Club. No, 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 this is... Oh. At the Private Bon Aqua Computer Club. That's in Bon Aqua, Tennessee. But you got to get your tickets. Go to the Eventbrite link in the chat and in the show notes description. Hit today. that green button there. Yeah. Tickets. Yeah, hit that button. And there's actually options in there for you to get tickets, and you can also donate extra to support the show. Oh. So you, you go grab your Sears card, mm -hmm. type yeah. in 99999, hit enter, and just... See what happens. See what happens. All right. Good to go through. Uh, Thomas, who knows? Probably like <laughs> you and me and Dave. Um, <laughs> Hope that helps. No, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's going to be a lot more. Than that. Uh, Justin Campbell writes, dear Alan and Dave, which would you rather get as a gift from your significant other? A sword or a blowjob? Your friend in Christ, Justin. <laughs> like, like the closing. Um, so would you rather get a sword or an oral abortion? Hmm. Well, I think I don't, I don't get a sword every day, so I'd, I'd have to go with the sword. Wow. Dropping, dropping hints there in yeah. between the lines, I see. We'll, we'll um, flex, flexing on Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is that I know Justin, and this is a relevant question. Oh, <laughs> And the and the thing is, he I think has he's a decision to make. I think he's mad because he got a spear instead of a sword. Ah, uh. but you know what the thing is is that every like swords are sexy, but but the but the easier to use, more functional weapon for yeah. the apocalypse is going to be that spear. Yeah, keep them at so, a distance. Yeah, like you can't train peasants to use swords; they're retarded. You got to give them a, yeah. a pointy stick and just say go that way. That's keep it pointed in front of you. Just run. Yeah. All right. Just no, we're not pole vaulting. All right, just <laughs> stay in formation, Dave. Jesus. All right. Uh, Andrew Avery writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, if Amber Heard had married Johnny Depp, she'd have been his kid's stepmom. Would they have been their stepstool?" Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> I, I don't know. I... All right. Oh. Andrew, I'm disappointed in you. Not not for the pun, but the yeah. that you know anything about the case. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eric Eli writes, Dear Alan and Dave, have you tried any Cracker Jill yet? I didn't even know this was a thing until I looked yeah. it up. Take a look at I this. Too. You've had Cracker Jack, now introducing Cracker Jill. And notice, huh. too, it's not good enough to just be no. Cracker Jill, who's like a little blonde-haired kid next to Cracker Jack. No, it has to be... It has to be a whole team of diverse Cracker Jills. Red and yellow, black and white. People get mad when you sing that song, though. Who? You know what? They People do. get mad over everything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. Am I getting taller? If I sit upright, oh. my head's off the screen. Is it? I think it's, I think it's I because think it's my you've fat... Been working out. My yeah. fat was, the gravity was lowering me to the earth. And now. Yeah. Yeah. Just lighter in your chair. Yeah. My poor spine. All right. <laughs> um, I hope, Eric, I hope this helps. Uh, Celeste Annis writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what has been your most disastrous cooking experience? 
Dave, do you have a disastrous cooking experience? Well, it's like I, I really couldn't think of anything because I I do a lot of the cooking around here. Oh, that's not the button I was looking for. What the and, hell? Um, yeah, that was my browser button. But um, I couldn't think of anything. And then I remember I had a Facebook post that I had where I was making uh, sausages. Oh, my. And I learned that I learned that sausages have a lot of grease in them. And oh. I need to clean my grill more often. Hmm. So that's all I could think of. Yeah. But the food was okay, though, right? Yeah, once you, you chiseled off the outer shell. Okay. Um, I remember when I was like 20 years old, I decided I love chili. And I don't oh, need yeah. my parents to make chili for me. I'll just make a big pot of chili. Yeah. And I made two mistakes. Oh. The first mistake was is that it wasn't good enough for me to make chili in a pot like this big. I had to make it in one of those, like, yeah. you know, giant pots that you need two <laughs> hands to pick up. And the second thing was, is that I remember growing up, whenever my mom needed to, like, run out of the kitchen, he she would grab either me and my brother and be like, hey, stir this. And we'd be like, nah, I don't want to sit here and stir it. And so we'd stir, stir the pot. So I didn't yeah, stir the chili for, like... <laughs> For like four days. And I wish, I wish, I like, I wish it were solid enough that I could just hit the pan and turn it over because then I would have two pots. I'd have a, I'd have an iron pot and then I've had another pot made out of burnt chili, like a perfectly round. Yeah. Is burnt pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if you're burning up the sides, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I like it hot. What can I say? Yeah. I just, whatever. Anyway, there you go. Uh, Carl Huber writes, Dear Alan and Dave, when does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? When you believe that it does. Oh. In your heart. Yep. Mm -hmm. We're having a you partly know, sunny day today. See? See what I I actually looked it up and and there is no difference between partly cloudy and partly sunny. I think it's it's just another way the media uses language to manipulate our emotions and you know control things. It's like if I had to assign definitions, I would say it depends on which direction it's going. Yeah. If it was sunny and it becomes cloudy, it's partly cloudy. Mm. If it was cloudy and it becomes sunny, it's partly sunny. Yeah. We we as an organization here are partly sunny always yeah no but always <laughs> oh, all right all right uh aaron kentner writes dear alan and dave do you refrigerate peanut butter what does anybody people do, people do that who refrigerates peanut butter that's, that's like people that refrigerate their mayonnaise weirdos <laughs> sorry <laughs> i saw a meme once you know what i i'll i'll give you this much it's it's not recommended but acceptable to eat peanut butter with a spoon it is neither yeah. recommended nor acceptable <laughs> to eat mayonnaise with a spoon well for science just just for science you worried so much about whether or not you could you didn't think about whether or not you should <laughs> Mary, Mary makes a good point there. If it's fresh ground, if it's like that, you know, fresh peanut butter or organic, mm -hmm. some of them you do have to, I think, refrigerate. If it's fresh, then you sh you need to eat it. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah, all right. Uh, Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Dave, Is flaming Hot Mountain Dew proof that God <laughs> has forsaken us? Well, Ryan, I don't know about us, but you... You know what, Dave? I sent you a picture the other day. Uh, they only yes. had a limited number of states that has the hard Mountain Dew for sale. I in Tennessee, seen it, yeah. Tennessee's one of them. It's Tennessee, Iowa, and somewhere else. I don't know what. What does that say about that, us? Weird. I don't know. But uh, we have hard Mountain Dew in stores. I'm going to get you some. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. We're going to have some hard Mountain Dew for you June 4th. That'd be cool. That'd be a nice yeah. change. Do, do you just drink it out of the can, or do you have it with ice, do you think? If it's cold, I'll drink it out of the can, but I, I like to put it in a glass. I don't, I don't like drinking out of cans. Okay. They have multiple flavors. You're going to have to... You're, we're going to have to convene on which one you want. 
one. Gosh, I don't even know what. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. What? The... All right. Like you don't even know me. It's because I'm trying to get through the live show in front of all of our friends and family without an uh oh. That's what. It... That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Marilyn Willemowski writes, "Dear Alan and Dave." Oh, what I do now? Have you ever ridden a horse? Oh, Dave, have you ever ridden a horse? I can't remember if I've actually ridden one, but I know that I've been on one because my my aunt had some, and I remember them helping me up onto it. But I can't I can't remember actually like going off or anything like that. I think I was still too small at that point. But since then, no, I haven't really ridden one. Now that's an interesting question because when. When I was in high school, I dated this girl, and her family actually owned a horse farm. Wow. They were they were really big into that. They had, like, Tennessee walking horses and... Mm. and was it uh, for like, milk or meat? It was for glue. Jesus. Oh, no. Okay. They, it was Tennessee walking horses. <laughs> they, they, they show them and ride them and stuff. They don't, okay. walk, they don't go around the barrels and blow their brains out and start harvesting the organs like we do <laughs> on Seven Days to Die. It's different. Um... But here's the thing. They so there was all those horses everywhere. But I never did ride wow. a horse. Oh. Not, not she doesn't watch the show. Who gives a shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. This would be the unless name. unless she does, in that case, you don't know who she is, Becca. <laughs> um <laughs> And finally this evening, Jonathan Carranza writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is your favorite egg dish? Ooh, I've been eating a lot of eggs. Oh. Doing the keto thing? Been eating a yeah. lot of eggs. Yeah. I true. I love omelets. Hmm. Particularly, I like omelets with bacon and cheese and mushrooms. Oh, I need more mushrooms in my life. Yeah, mushrooms are good. Nobody eats so, them here, so it's... Yeah. So that that's the answer, and if anybody wants to send some of those our way, we'll we'll certainly do a live taste testing yeah. give them yeah. a try all right dave do you have a favorite egg dish uh it depends on the situation really I'm, like it used to just be deviled i like i didn't like omelets but i think i wasn't doing it right i learned to, i put the ingredients in the pan first and warm it and kind of heat it up and then put the egg over it and i've been making some banging omelets since we started the keto thing so that okay. it might be omelets now there you go but I never make an omelet because I'm a lazy piece of shit. I mean, that's how omelets. I got. That's why I'm having to do the diet because I got really fat because I'm a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> and so, so no, I need I need an omelet lackey. Oh. That's what I need. Um, well, that was a good first half of the show, I think. Yeah, I actually feel for the people. We've had a lot of guests lately, and I know we've had new people tuning in each week for the guest. And and like you feel for them like trudging through the first twenty thirty minutes of the show like yeah like this isn't what, what they're here for yeah if you came for the guest that's not yeah well if you came for the guest then you probably owe them a few hundred but anyway uh, guys we're gonna be back after the break with historian and author Dave Benner right after this commercial break go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Our guest this evening is a historian and author of such books as The 14th Amendment and the Incorporation Doctrine, as well as the book that I have right here on my desk, ladies and gentlemen. That's Compact of the Republic, the League of States and the Constitution. You can get all of that and more at his website, which is www.davebenner.com. Dave Benner, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think it was a well-reasoned choice to have me follow Tom Woods. Very good deduction in that. 
Yeah, well, a, I mean, amen, brother. I, I've told people that, you know, we've only got a few weeks here between now and the big event at the 1st of June, and I thought, we got to have our absolute showstoppers in May. Better call Dave Benner. <laughs> Great calculation. Now, Dave, you've written a lot about American history. You've written a lot about the Constitution as the aforementioned book. But I know you have your sights set on a particular individual, and everybody who survived second grade social studies class, they probably know George Washington, probably know Benjamin Franklin. They may even, God forbid, they might know who Thomas Jefferson is. But I bet they don't know the guy you're writing about right now. Who is Thomas Paine? Wow. So what a question. What wasn't Thomas Paine is a probably a better question. He had such a long and elaborate life, but born an Englishman, commoner, lower artisan class, um, really nothing to speak of in regard to his pedigree. He changed the course of Western civilization in general, and there wouldn't be an independent America without him. So what wasn't he is a better question. And we can get into, you know, more in-depth granular areas of his life, but um, that's the most succinct way to put it. But he was so much more than that, too. Uh, he played a big impact in the political transformation of France, which a lot of Americans don't know about. But, uh, of course, he's most commonly known here as the author of Common Sense, the most prominent political pamphlet that, before any others, called for the severance of the American colonies from the British crown. Now, if you do a quick Wikipedia on Thomas Paine, right off the bat it says that he is a political theorist and a philosopher. But let's let's kind of start with the broad strokes. What what era in history does Thomas Paine reside? Uh, well, he was born in 1737 in Thetford, England, so his life mostly spanned the latter part of the 18th century, although he didn't die until 1809, so he actually lived a very long life. And actually, that's one of the things I point out in my book is that in seven particular individual incidents, he escaped an early death. Um, two of them are very prominently known amongst people that would you know, do a cursory examination of his life. But he had a knack for surviving things that you know, should have put him in the grave. Well, let's, let's talk about that then really quick before we get into some of the other fundamentals. Uh, survived death several times that should have put him in an early grave. Uh, tell us maybe about a few of those, but, but tell us... How did such tragedy befall the man? Was he just no good, Dave? <laughs> well, some crazy incidences. So in one episode, as a young man, he tried his hand at privateering. So a lot of people wouldn't know what this is or have much of a comparison point to today. But back in the day, before there were well-established nation-based navies, um, individual citizens embarked in plundering missions against uh, enemies of their own country. For instance, England... Uh, during the French and Indian War, Seven Years' War, they would know it as in Europe, and France engaged in many such scuffles on the high seas, whereupon privateers would you know, take prizes or plunder from enemy vessels. And Payne was involved in one of such operations, but on the English side, which is ironic because he essentially plundered from the nation he once helped nurture. <laughs> but in, in that, he narrowly escaped an episode on a famous British privateer commanded by one named William Death that <laughs> engaged a, a frigate of the French that basically destroyed it. And most, almost all the crew died. And Thomas Paine was only saved from going on that misadventure from his father who pleaded with him not to go on it. But he was involved in other plunders. So that's one case. Um, there's many others, including the time he almost died during the Reign of Terror when the Jacobins had taken over the French revolutionary government and almost put him on the scaffold and severed his head from him. He was sentenced to death in England for seditious libel for printing the rights of man, his most famous political treatise. Um, an enraged former tenant that rented his property in New York nearly shot him through his window one time after a run binge also. So many different cases, and there's more than that in the book. Now, we'll, we'll look at a couple of those cases over in Europe. So you, you have to be a special kind of person to almost be executed in France and England, I would take it. <laughs> so what, what is it about his writings and activity that caused him to be an enemy of perhaps all the best people, depending on how you're looking at it? Absolutely. So we'll start with England there. He printed the Rights of Man, which was unambiguous in its call 
to end monarchy. He thought the British monarchical system was a despotic system, a tyrannical system, and actually was a type of form of slavery because what Paine uh, kind of elucidated in that work was that if you're under a monarchical system as a subject, you're essentially beholden to the whims of one particular noble family, regardless of how pure their aims were, regardless of how moral their impositions were, regardless of any other factor. So um, Payne thought that to be bound in all ways whatsoever, which is the exact text of what was called the Declaratory Act, one of the most contentious um, acts that the patriots in America viewed from the British, was treacherous. And he made no uh, bones about it. In The Rights of Man, he also called for an end to you know, imperialistic wars and other things that he thought had just plagued Europe uh, from time immemorial. So um, in this, he roused the suspicions of British agents in William Pitt the Younger's government in England. And uh, Pitt the Younger was notorious for enacting a unprecedented censorship campaign in England that brought many people to per- prosecution for printing you know, things that the government didn't approve of. It was a much different time back then, and it's hard to even... Um, Put, put much relation to it now, but back then, Paine was tried for seditious libel for essentially saying that the English monarchy was evil, and he was sentenced in absentia to death for doing so. Um, now, I know you said that that's, it's hard to imagine uh, such, such things being t- taking place today, but I know that it wasn't just in Britain that he had his trouble, even though that that's, in, in, in terms of being a traitor, that the the definition would fit in so much as he was born in England and he was speaking out against the English crown. How did he get in trouble in France? Oh, thanks for saying that. I knew I, I forgot to mention that. So in France, he at first was viewed as a universal celebrity. The Rights of Man was a, a bombastic hit, probably the best-selling liberal classical liberal treatise ever sold. And it made him – it propelled him to stardom in France so much so that the region of Calais – elected him to be a representative in their provisional revolutionary government that was concocting a new constitution and a new republican system. So he, without being able to uh, speak a lick of France, was elected to be a representative for the first time in his life, and he took that honor. However, I think two major things put him in the crosshairs of what became you know, the most malignant faction that rose in those days, the Jacobins. So number one, when the French revolutionaries wanted to put King Louis XVI to the guillotine, Paine actually spoke out in his defense. And you might say, how can this be? Paine was the most anti-monarchical person of his time. And he really was. But number one, he thought that Louis XVI wasn't um, emblematic of the problem. He thought the problem was systematic, that the entire Bourbon monarchy was despotic and it wasn't Louis XVI. Actually, he thought Louis XVI was a relatively just king in comparison to many of his predecessors, because especially um, for the reason that he helped the American revolutionaries win the war against Britain. Um, The other thing was that he became a rival of Marat. Marat was a famous writer of the Jacobins that was one of the most radicals. And, um, you know, he raised the ire within the ranks of the Jacobins so much so that when they rose to power, when the revolutionary Paris Commune essentially took over the government, he was targeted first um, and removed as representative for being not being a French citizen. And he languished in prison for almost a year in Luxembourg pr- prison, now called Luxembourg Palace, because ostensibly for the reason that he wasn't a citizen. But it looks like from the records we have and Robespierre's uh, notes that he was targeted for his opposition to the Jacobins. Now, that's that's interesting because for someone to be speaking out about the problems with systemic problems with uh, forms of governance as opposed to individual bad actors, you know, you can fast forward even to, you know, hashtag current year. And if you're someone who is deeply opposed to one politician or another, you might have an audience. But being opposed to the system will get you called a crank by either side of the political aisle. So by by that nature, considering that that's still the case today, Thomas Paine sounds like someone who fits the definition of being far, far ahead of his time. 
he was an unapologetic crank. He would have taken it kindly to be told that. In fact, he did. After Common Sense was written, one adversary called him a crack brain zealot for democracy, for instance. And that was about the worst insult you could give someone back then (laughs) to tell them (laughs) they believed in democracy. But, I mean, he really was portrayed that way. He was absolutely unapologetic about it. He believed that principle was much more important than, you know, what was respectable, what was common, what was um, within what Tom Woods called the index card of allowable opinion. So um, he certainly, you know, lived that throughout his life and actually lost him many friends and made him many enemies too. Well, we'll get to that as uh, t- towards the end, I think. But uh, to, to move on to the next step, you, you just mentioned common sense. Tell For people who are totally unaware of Thomas Paine, so they're probably unaware of his writings as well, what was common sense and, and how did that sort of transform the era in his image? Well, the undercurrent was calling for an unambiguous separation of the North American colonies from the British crown. And this was written at the end of 1775. To put this in perspective, at that time, the Continental Congress was sending all the olive branch petition to Britain to say, hey, let's come to some kind of peaceful reconciliation before, you know, you perceive this as kind of some rebellious uh, severance. And But Payne said that's exactly what we need to do. And he said that for a few reasons. One... He said that the British system was corrupt and that it was established by a bastard Norman, William the Conqueror, who essentially <laughs> established who established the kingdom through a usurpation. So it's not a legitimate government in his eyes. Uh, Payne believed in the Lockean conception of the social contract, which meant that all government should be set up to protect the life, liberty, and property of its inhabitants, and it had to be voluntary amongst those that set it up. He also said that even if British Parliament could give the North American colonies representation, it wouldn't be feasible and logistics would prevent it from uh, being able to be workable back then. He also said, well, the colonies had acted autonomously and developed their own culture that is not necessarily conducive to what British has for us, Um, that this system's unstable. It cannot uh, demand compliance of the North American colonies and that. They should sever themselves. But beyond that, Payne also said that they should establish what he called a continental charter. And this was kind of the first callings for a written constitution in germ. He called for that in common sense. So he said that immediately the colonies should sever themselves and establish this continental charter that makes it completely distinct from a British monarchical colony. Now, some of the language you're using there in describing Paine and his work, it, it, it definitely evokes memories of the Constitution. It evokes memories of a Declaration of Independence, of a Bill of Rights. So it sounds like perhaps he was quite the influence on some of the other perhaps more popular players of the age. So what were some of his relationships with some of the biggest American figures that we would all know? Oh, man. So when he first wrote Common Sense, he was an absolute nobody. He was a publisher of, a, of the Pennsylvania Magazine, which was one of the most prominent magazines of its time. But none of the elaborate or illustrious figures we know of today knew of him at that time. It took until writing that that his work got out there and probably sold about 100 to 150,000 copies by the end of 1776, the best-selling pamphlet that had ever been released at that point. And that brought him into the knowledge of people like George Washington, Charles Lee, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Rush, who helped actually suggest the title, Common Sense. He was going to call it Plain Truth. And because of that, he actually networked well and made relations with some of like the biggest and most powerful American uh, Republican aristocrats of the time. So, for instance, his friendship with Benjamin Franklin spanned essentially till the end of Franklin's life. And his friendship with Jefferson in particular lasted to the end of his life. I mean, that was one of his longest lasting friendships. John Adams, although he at sometimes pointed to the merits of common sense was not a big fan of pain. He thought he was too radical and went far too far. But nonetheless, even in old age, John Adams admitted that no one had made such an imprint on his age as common sense. And he said with reluctance, and I point this out in the book, call it then the age of pain. And he despised the guy. So he made a huge impact on that class. Um, He knew almost everyone of prominence of that time. Um, In his later years, he was much more of an adversary toward the Federalists than he ever was in his earlier years. 
and he kind of vacillated between liking or disliking certain ones, but almost everyone knew about him, at least in the American system. Now, I know that it's it's really become in vogue nowadays to view historical figures through a modern lens, which I, I, I think a lot of historians would agree is, is, is a bit unfair. When you're, when you're going multiple centuries back and applying modern-day principles and values to uh, historic figures, then, then everyone is going to be painted in a bad light. Uh, but Thomas Paine is particularly interesting besides that, because, as you had alluded to earlier, um, he had he had some rocky times with some of those relationships a little bit later in life. So, so what happened there? And then I'm I'm going to have a follow up question uh, as well. Of it, it, does that contribute to, or why don't we know Thomas Paine as well as we know some of these other people? Yeah. So I'll skip to the second part. It absolutely contributes to why we don't know of him as well, what he did, and the friendships that he broke. And I'll give you. Kind of two overarching topics in general. So number one is he denounced George Washington, his lifelong friend up until the mid-1790s later in life. And the reason why is because when he was caught by the Jacobins and placed into Luxembourg Palace, he didn't think that the American administration, and in particular the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, his name was Governor Morris at the time, very well-known figure in his time as well, did not press for his American citizenship because as Payne saw it, the official reasons that the government was giving for his captivity was the fact that he wasn't a French citizen. But if his American citizenship was pressed, well, they were under cordial relations at the time, more or less. I mean, not completely, but that should have established him to be set free. Now, Governor Morris, like in his private works, you can tell he, you can tell he was utterly um, unsympathetic to Payne's plight. He did not like Payne. He thought the rights of man had gone too far and even perhaps thought he deserved some um, <laughs> some punishment for it. Now, the extent to which Washington knew about this or not is a little bit unclear and Washington never actually responded to uh, Payne's tirade against him, which was widely published, not only sent to Washington, but published in pamphlet form. But Payne took it personally that Washington did not work harder to set him free in his most trying days. And Payne thought that it was because Washington was playing politics, and it could have been. Washington at that time wanted to establish closer relations with Britain at the time and may have thought that um, pressing for Payne's case would have jeopardized that relationship. At least Payne believed that. And he said all sorts of insulting things toward the president, including that you know history would not remember him, that he would be remembered as... Um, more of a power-hungry and ambitious person than a disinterested person that he's known for, etc. And that lost him not only the friendship of Washington, but almost all of his Federalist supporters. To say something like that about Washington at the time was, uh, you know, an, an insane prospect. He was the most widely respected person in the world. The other thing is, Payne wrote a series of two works called The Age of Reason. And The Age of Reason was a deistic treatise that, while backing religion in terms of a singular creator disavowed and um, basically rejected all of the miraculous aspects of Christianity. Payne believed in a single creator, but not one that intervened in the world after having created the, the earth. And he thought that God's works could be seen in nature. So because of this, he doubted almost everything in the Bible, um, even though he acknowledged like the moral teachings of Jesus Christ and things like that. But he completely doubted um, you know, the truth that tr that the Bible held the divine truth, right? So because of this, again, an incredibly unpopular thing to do, especially in the midst of a second great awakening where Protestantism in particular was uh, one of its uh, zeniths in terms of, you know, how widely adhered to that doctrine was. So those are those are definitely some bold words uh, coming in that particular age and from someone who had been so influential leading up through the American Revolution. Was there anything in particular in his later life post-revolution uh, that was still uh, particularly earth-shattering or uh, inspiring uh, other than uh, other than cutting ties with friends? Yeah, I mean, he, he wrote so many different things. And one of the things that my book does is explores other parts of his life than political. A lot of people don't know this, but he was a brilliant architect. Payne stood at a the cutting edge of an engineering revolution when he supported iron-based bridges. And 
You know, he wrote um, amazing works that elaborated upon how well that iron bridges could could function in kind of the future. And he never had a permanent bridge built, but he did build an iron bridge that basically stood as a prototype and was well-reviewed by some of its viewers. Now, at that time, he had kind of been drawn back into the French Revolution and things like that, so he was never able to put his full focus on that. But he wrote you know, engineering contributions. Uh, toward the end of his life, he also wrote a theory on why yellow fever was caused. It turned out to be incorrect, but I think that in some ways he was on the right track. Um, he also wrote about... Um, the decline of the English financial system. He lambasted England's system of finance in the late 18th century because it had adhered to a fiat standard. And Payne was a hard money warrior that thought that paper money wasn't money. It was the ghost of money, like Jefferson thought. So he contributed in so many different ways to many things toward the end of his life. But um, he certainly didn't completely find his calling after he returned from France to the United States in 1802. After that point, he was largely made a pariah of most people that, you know, called him an atheist, even though actually, ironically, he wrote the first stage of reason as a response to Jacobin oriented atheism. He believed in deism, but certainly not traditional Christianity. Um, so he made many different contributions. There's more on on, in the book that's covered where he wrote about what should be done with like the North American territories in the United States um, and all sorts of other things. Now, of all the different uh, relationships that he enjoyed, and unfortunately so many that came to an end before the end of his life, one of the ones that I believe, you can correct me on this, one of the ones that I believe was strong to the very end was that of Thomas Jefferson. What was it about the connection between Jefferson and Payne that endured all of that controversy to the end? Yeah, good question. And absolutely, that's the case. I mean, he had other friendships, especially with like James Monroe and James Madison. But Thomas Jefferson was one of his closest friends. And, you know, he and Jefferson agreed on so many things, not just political philosophy, the Lockean social contract theory. Um, they both you know, had an issue morally with slavery. I mean, it's hard to for some people to rationalize that given that Jefferson was a slave owner, but they both displayed in their civic duties attempts to curtail the institution in different ways. Um, Payne was an outright abolitionist before almost anyone else was. As publisher of the Pennsylvania Magazine, he published an essay uh, called Africans America, Afri uh, um, I'm sorry, African Slavery in America, and, you know, Jefferson would have empathized with that. But the two grew even closer in some ways because they were both attacked by, you know, American nationalists and federalists, especially after and in the midst of the Revolution of 1800, where Jefferson was elected president after a very contentious battle with John Adams and, as it turned out, Aaron Burr, that Jefferson or Payne had a new hope for American republicanism after Jefferson had won. And it was one of the things that inspired him to come back. After his return, you know, a lot of people shunned Payne, but actually Jefferson invited him into the White White House back then. It was called the Presidential Mansion. And the two were seen, you know, walking with each other. Now, that only lasted a brief period, but even until the end of his life, Payne had maintained a cordial written relationship with Jefferson. And like I've kind of alluded to, they actually shared kind of similar, but not the same opinions on things like religion, which were extremely unpopular. So I think they had a special bond in the way where they agreed on many points that would have been, you know, just incredibly controversial at the time. Now, you you brought up, of course, the the dreaded S word slavery and pointed out already that Thomas Paine was a true abolitionist in, in the sense, way before many others. Now, one would think that something like that would improve his historical image in, in current year, but I, I, I'm not sure that's the case. Why is there still such a disconnect? Yeah, I, th I think some circles do try to revive his reputation on that basis. Like, I know the Thomas Paine National Historical Association talks about this a lot, and you know, the Huguenot Society that runs his cottage today that you can still see in New Rochelle does the same. But he's really been overshadowed because, 
you know, the, the latter two things we talked about, more or less his attack on George Washington and I think the Age of Reason, even though that that has influenced new atheism to an extent that no other work really from that time has. And people like Christi- Christopher Hitchens have, you know, overtly said that Paine was a precursor to many of his ideas. But you're right. I mean, it doesn't seem like Paine's contributions to abolitionism and anti-slavery efforts are very, you know, well at uh, – addressed or broadcast, even though, you know, his words helped inspire one of the first gradual manumission laws of all time. Um, Many of your viewers might not know this, but for instance, in uh, 1780, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania passed an act that said after X date, no one will be born a slave again. And Payne's uh, theories on that helped inspire those on the committee that wrote that law. He was close to them and their friendships uh, were tangible in making that happen. So, it's hard to know, Alan, but you're right. I think there is kind of a avenue where we can bring him to the limelight because of that. It is, you know, an inescapably important contribution whereupon a lot of people didn't think that that could be resolved in the age, but Payne said that it should be unapologetically. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to do just a tad bit of prognosticating. Uh so so really quick, what was the year that Thomas Paine passed away? 1809 in New York 1809. City. 1809. So so well after the revolution, after the presidency of Thomas Jefferson, but but well before the era of American Civil War. What do you think no, knowing just how much of a crank, if you will, that Thomas Paine was, knowing how willing he was to speak out against systems and people even if they were popular and even if they were his friends. What do you think Paine would have thought about the lead up to the war between the states? Oh, man, it's so hard to 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 really to predict this, but Paine was not expressly concerned with federalism. I'll just say that. Paine believed that the United States should more or less, even though having distinct cultures, be part of the same kind of power apparatus. And I think he would have dreaded any kind of fissure of the American states. But that said, he also dreaded, you know, the consolidation of power in few hands and imposing power from a centralized bureaucracy, much like England had done. He, so it's it's really hard for me to answer that. So at a, at a cop out, I think he would have actually been more of a unionist, but he certainly would have dreaded, you know, the the power um, of the Lincoln administration in the run up to the war and how it was utilized to do things like institute a draft, um, suspend the writ of habeas corpus, jail distance, things like that. He certainly would have been against that because he lambasted Napoleon and William Pitt the Younger for doing the same. So, well. On that note, uh, as we had mentioned earlier in the show, you've written books about the 14th Amendment. You've written Compact of the Republic, talking about the League of States and the Constitution. Uh, of course, Thomas Paine was uh, influential. If, 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 not, if not in the room writing the documents, he was certainly very influential in everything that was going on. What would you say today, in looking at the modern political landscape, what is one of the biggest things that you feel like Thomas Paine's vision, influence, however you want to call it, can still be seen in modern America? Uh, I'll give you two. Um, the absolutism for free speech. There are free speech absolutists today, but that was not a popular prospect in most of the world in Paine's time, especially in Britain and France where they crack down on political works. But now we take it essentially as, you know, as – what is used to us to an extent of it's the air in the sky, it's the grass on the ground, but that we can criticize our publish, publish, uh, public officials without retribution is unambiguously the result of Payne's winning that war. William Pitt the Younger won his censorship campaign for the moment, but he didn't win the war. The other thing is that government isn't tied to religion whatsoever in many corners of the world now. Back then, established churches were the way of the world. But Payne backed kind of the Virginian example that, you know, dis, uh, disconnected the uh, established church from the civil government. And some of the American states never even had an established uh, presence as far as religion in their governing system. And Payne lauded that in the rights of man. You can go back to the rights of man and look and see, look at how beneficial that is, that man can worship as he wishes. There's no test oaths that prevent him from his, um serving as a public official because of that. So free speech and the severance of religion from state. 
on that note, you're writing this magnum opus. I believe you're just about wrapping things up. Do you have a title for the book? And about what time do you think people are going to be able to enjoy it? Yeah, it is finished. The final title is Thomas Paine, A Lifetime of Radicalism. And it will be available around Thanksgiving. So right now it's with the editor. I'm pleased to have the endorsement of Tom Woods, Jeff Dice, Brad Berzer, um, Kevin Gutsman, and some others that will be blurbing it. Very happy to have their support on this. But it's in an editing process that will take a few months. Also working with the artist to design the cover. But around Thanksgiving. Around Thanksgiving. Uh, as it pertains to some of your other books, such as Compact of the Republic, what are the chances that people are going to be able to get signed copies of Dave Benner's work at the fourth annual It's Too Late Live show on June 4th? It is as sure as the severance of the American colonies from the British Empire in 1776, and that will happen. I will, oh, I'm sorry. By June, it won't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not a sure thing. It, will, it won't happen at all, but it will happen by Thanksgiving. I will have a system whereupon you can contact me and get signed copies, but it won't be by then. I do hope no, no, to... No, I, no, I'm, I'm talking about Compact of the Republic. Oh, I'm so sorry, Alan. Yeah, I, I can have that for sure. We'll, we will have signed copies. I haven't announced this officially yet on Facebook, but that book is also for the first time now available in hardcover. So I, I can definitely do that. That is awesome. Dave, where can people go to support you and enjoy more of your content? Yeah, uh, www.davebenner.com. That's kind of a central hub where you can see the articles I write, the books I write, etc. I also contribute to the Mises Institute and the Abbeville Institute and the Tenth Amendment Center at times. So check those sites, search my name if you want, and uh, check me out on Facebook. I'm also at dbenner83 on Twitter. Dave, I'm so sad that we really don't have time to talk any sports ball because it, the NFL draft is literally happening as we speak. Um, un, yeah, I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> Green Bay did not draft seven new wide receivers for Aaron Rodgers, so the, the world is literally collapsing in Wisconsin as we speak. But we just, but we just don't have any time. But Dave, I'm going to get you out of here on this one. Yeah, sounds good, man. We got two receivers, though, but thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate right, hold it. Hold on. We're getting you out of here on this one. Okay, I, I didn't know someone was coming. All right. Is a Pop-Tart a giant piece of ravioli? Oh, man, I should have known this was coming. I didn't I didn't prepare for this question. Um, knowing you, yeah, it's totally ravioli. The fillings is, does, isn't consequential to what a ravioli is, so it's absolutely a ravioli. That is correct. Dave has won the bonus round. Dave, it's always such a pleasure, man. We should hang out more often. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We will, man. And I appreciate you having me on. Keep the show going, man. Guys, we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this last commercial break. Stick around. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Alan Mosley TV. You can follow me on Twitter. That's twitter.com at Alan Mosley TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. YouTube.com slash Alan Mosley TV. Also, we're now on Odyssey. Go and support a free speech platform. Odyssey.com. It's too late with Alan Mosley or at Alan Mosley TV. If you're more of a listener than a watcher, you can get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. That's thanks to Anchor FM. Anchor.fm slash Alan Mosley TV. Dave, do you have a final thought? Well, that was that was a lot of fun. Dave's Dave's cool. Dave's are Dave's are cool. But um, yeah. Yeah, it was a good, good show. Didn't screw anything up too bad. I think it was a good night. I think we're only going to allow one day, June 4th, so it's just, it's first come, first serve. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming days in advance. I'll be fine. Oh. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> I think we're going to do a little bit of an after party, but it's only going to be on Twitch. So that's twitch.tv slash Alan underscore Mosley. Um, 
But in case we don't see you, we will be back here next week. Thank you so much for watching another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week. Ah. Thank you to Dave Benner. Yeah, that was great. Great friend. Lives right down the road from me. Going to be here June. Imagine not being here June 4th. The Green Bay fan in Tennessee? Yeah, I didn't say he was perfect, all right? I just said he was my friend that lives here. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine not being here June 4th. Imagine that. Ah. We're going to be here. Dave's going to be here. Meharry's going to be here. Everybody's going to be here. All the who's who's. We're going to be on Twitch, so we will see you over there.